we had, on, on Easter, we sent out a, a poll to all of the people in our congregation, and we said, what are the major issues that are on your heart, the major topics, the major areas of life that you need to hear addressed, that you want to hear addressed um, because you feel like that's something that would be applicable to your life. Uh, The top four, there were four of them, and forgiveness was among the top four issues or topics that people wanted to hear about because I think a lot of us are challenged with this concept. It is not easy to forgive. C.S. Lewis uh, once said this. He said, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. It's really a great concept, especially when you're being forgiven. Man, that is a sweet word. But when you have to forgive somebody else for a transgression that they committed against you, an injury that they committed against you, a harm, a hurt that you've experienced, it's not that easy. Um, John Ortberg, the pastor of Menlo Park Church in California, he tells the story of going to Bath, England, and he was there among the Roman ruins. And in ancient Rome, people would have prayers. You know how we have like these little prayer cards you can put a prayer request in and drop it in the basket and we'll pray for you? Well, they had a version of that in ancient Rome. They had these, these lead uh, tablets. Uh, you can see a picture of one here. There were these lead tablets um, and, and that's one up there at the top. And people would inscribe on these tablets their prayers. They would ha- actually have someone do it for them. They would pay them to inscribe a prayer. And then they would roll that little thin lead tablet up. And then they would put a spike through it. And then they would put that, uh, the, that tablet in like the, cr- you know, the, the, the crack in the wall. They would hide it. Um, and that would be the prayer that they would be invoking. Um, they actually called them curse tablets because... The prayers, overwhelmingly, were curses towards someone that had harmed you. Some enemy, somebody that had hurt you. Uh, The prayer was essentially, that person hurt me. I want you, gods, to hurt them. Uh, I've got an example. Now, this is a real real curse tablet that was found in ancient Rome. And I'm going to read you what it says. It says, I invoke you, holy angels and holy names. Bind, tie up, block, strike, overthrow, harm, destroy, kill, and shatter Eucarius, the charioteer, and all of his horses tomorrow in the arena of Rome. I mean, I mean, I mean, destroy, kill, harm, overthrow, and shatter. After you've killed him, also shatter him. Okay. It says, uh, let the starting gates not open properly. Let him not compete quickly. Let him not pass. Let him not squeeze over. I don't have any idea what that means. Um, I think it means like kind of sneak by. Let him not win. Let him not make the turn properly. Let him not receive the honors. Let him not squeeze over and overpower. Let him not come from behind and pass. But instead, let him collapse. Let him be bound. Let him be broken up. And let him drag behind by your power. Oh, and by the way, both in the early races and in the later ones. Um, Now, now. Quickly, quickly. This is someone's prayer. Um, They wanted Eucarius, the charioteer, to die and be crushed and shattered and smashed and killed and dragged behind. Um, And that would also be in the early races and then also in the later races. Um, Let let me read you another another example. This This is a blessing tablet. And it says, holy angels and holy names, Eucarius harmed me. 
Now, let my feelings of hostility, bitterness, and vengefulness flee from me. Let me forgive him of his transgression. Let him seek genuine repentance and forgiveness. Let him be restored, and may he be blessed. How many blessing tablets do you think they found in ancient Rome at this point? Goose egg. None. Nobody prayed a blessing tablet in ancient Rome. There, There were no... Of the thousands of prayers that they have found, they have not yet found one that was a blessing tablet. In ancient Rome... The, the, the noble thing to do was to have incredible uh, loyalty to your friends and deep hostility towards your enemies. That was nobility in ancient Rome. There wasn't a culture of, you know what, I was harmed. I should forgive that person. There was a culture of, I was harmed. God's crushed that person. In fact, the purpose of the gods in ancient Rome were to help you get what you wanted. And what you want if you've been harmed, is revenge. You want to get even. You don't want to forgive. It was in the midst of that culture that a blue-collar construction worker from a little town called Nazareth was laying out a different paradigm that would radically redirect the trajectory of human history forever. And what he said was this. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And then he gives an example. He says, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? So he uses this very concrete sort of example of greeting someone and saying, you know, you you greet the people that are like you. You you, you greet them. They're your people. But you don't greet the people that are not like you, right? You don't greet the people that you don't like. So maybe we should try an exercise today. We could all just stand up, find somebody you do not like, and just go right to them and just give them a big old hug. Just no volunteers, no volunteers whatsoever. Um, the, the amount of hurt that some of you have experienced in your life is, in, is incomprehensible to someone who hasn't been hurt in the way that some of you have been hurt. Uh, some of you have been betrayed by someone that you love. Uh, you've experienced incredible and deep and powerful betrayal, and it was surprising, and it was harmful, and it hurt. Um, some of you have been cheated by maybe a business partner or somebody, a trusted friend, somebody that you felt like you could just rely on and trust, and they had your back, and they hurt you, and they cheated you, and y- you didn't know how to, how to handle it. Um, some of you have experienced abuse, and it may be physical abuse that you experienced, or sexual abuse, or emotional abuse, or psychological abuse, uh, or spiritual abuse at, at the hands of, uh, of, of someone that you had put your trust in, someone who was there to protect you, someone who you believed had your best interest at heart. And you've experienced that pain, and somewhere in your heart, that pain is still there. It's never fully and completely gone away. I came across a video this week, and I found it to be a really stunning example of what Jesus is saying in this passage right here. 
And so I'm going to take three minutes with one of the most potent and play this video for you right now. Go ahead. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Mm -hmm, thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, thank a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. Yeah. You know, when you, when you see forgiveness like that, uh, you, you can't help but to reflect on your own life and to look into your own heart and to think, you know, are there any old resentments hanging around? Are there any old hostilities hanging around? Are there any old, um, uh, you know, any little nuggets of unforgiveness that haven't been crushed and dissolved in my own heart? Um, 
But it is hard. It is hard to forgive. It's easier to stuff it than to let it go. We know that, that forgiveness is good for us. You know, if we're believers, we read it in the scripture. Uh, if we're not believers, we still know that it's good for us. We can look at medical science. There was a study at the Mayo Clinic uh, recently that said um, that people who forgive offenses have healthier relationships. They have greater psychological well-being. They have less anxiety. They have less stress. They have less hostility. They have lower blood pressure. They have fewer symptoms of depression. They have stronger immune systems. They have improved cardiovascular health. And they have higher self-esteem than unforgiving people. In fact, in one of the studies that they did, they found that people who were more forgiving had less levels of cortisol in their saliva. Now, cortisol is that hormone that helps to uh, metabolize fat when you're stressed out. And then it takes that fat and it just deposits it um, in a convenient place. So for some of us, that's like right around here. Um, And basically what they found is if you want to start an exercise program, if you want to lose weight, um, step one is you should forgive. Uh, Get a healthy dose of forgiveness in your diet. Um, But we forgive, we, we resist forgiveness. And I think a lot of times we do because we can get it tangled up with other things that we're not prepared to do and that we really don't need to do. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not condoning what a person did, right? Forgiveness is not excusing. So it's not, it, it's not condoning. It's not saying, hey, what you did was okay. I loved what she said in that video. It didn't diminish at all what this man had done. She didn't condone it. She didn't excuse it. It doesn't mean that you're, it, it, forgetting is, forgiving isn't pardoning. It doesn't mean that the person has no repercussions or there are no ramifications for what they've done. Some people need to serve time in jail for something they've done, even if you forgive them for that thing. Um, Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not putting it out of your consciousness as if it's never happened. It's, It's still there. It's still there. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. There are times when forgiveness leads to reconciliation, but there are some people that have harmed you bad enough that you don't ever need to reconcile with that person. You don't ever need to be friends with that person, but you do need to forgive them. Um, I don't know if you uh, heard the words of Nadine Collier. She was the daughter of Ethel Lance, um, one of the victims of the shooting in Charleston. Um, several weeks ago. And, of course, there was the shooting in in Oregon this week, and so there's a whole new fresh um, tragedy where people are struggling with this. But but Nadine Collier said this. She, She faced her mom's killer in court, and this is what she said to him. She said, I forgive you. She said, you took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. She said, you hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. And I forgive you. I love what she said because what she was saying is, I don't condone what you did. I don't excuse what you did. I don't pardon what you did. I'm not going to forget what you did. I'm not going to have a relationship with you and reconcile this relationship. But I forgive you. She understood what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness is a conscious and deliberate 
decision to release feelings of resentment and vengeance towards a person or a group who has harmed you, whether or not they actually deserve your forgiveness. In other words, forgiveness has nothing to do with the merit of the transgressor. Whether you forgive that person has nothing at all whatsoever to do with whether they deserve your forgiveness or not, or even if they've asked your forgiveness. Your forgiveness is an isolated event that is your decision, that is for you to do. It's a release of the resentment, the anger, the, the, the vengeance, the hostility that you have for another person. And if you struggle with this concept, you are in very good company because the Apostle Peter came to Jesus because he was struggling with this very concept. He couldn't quite get this, and he wanted to put a cap on it. He wanted to sort of limit what this means. So he came to Jesus, and this is what he said. He said, Jesus, let me get this straight. How often... go. Go to that next slide, Don. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Because seven seems like a lot of times to forgive somebody. That's a lot of times. They keep doing that thing to you and you keep forgiving them. Peter's just like, I just need, I need some clarity around here. I need a, an, an objective box where I can put this. Because forgiving, I, I just don't want to be forgiving all the time. Seven times satisfactory. And maybe he was thinking, well, maybe Jesus will come back with 15 and we'll settle around 10. And that'll be a good, that'll be a good little deal right there. Um, and then Jesus said to him, I'm, I don't say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490 times. In one of the passage, passages, it says daily. 70 times seven daily. And what he's saying is this is 490 times if my, if my math is right. Uh, and, and what he's really saying is an infinite number of times. Just keep forgiving him over and over and over. If, if you're like me, you're like, okay, right at about three, the 360th offense, I should have license to just knock the tar right out of you if you keep doing the same. Right? I, do I really have to release you all of those times? Jesus said, yes. This is what it's all about. The question that you may ask, that I ask when I read this, is why? Why should that offender, that transgressor, keep getting the benefit of my forgiveness when he's the one that has transgressed? Not me. Why is he receiving the benefit of my forgiveness towards him? And Jesus is saying that's just the point. He's not receiving the benefit of the forgiveness. You're receiving the benefit of the forgiveness. When you forgive someone, it may or may not release them. It may or may not change their life at all. They may not even care if you forgive them or not. But what it does is it releases you from the power that that offender or that offense holds over your life. Whether conscious or unconscious. Forgiveness is this. Forgiveness liberates the forgiver from the power of the offense, how? By entrusting the offender to the justice of God. When you release that offender, you are liberated. They may not be liberated or they may be liberated. We don't know what's going to happen to them. But we do know that when you forgive, 
you are released. You are opened up. Forgiveness is an act of reliance upon God. It's an act of trust. When you forgive someone, you are not entering into a relationship with that person. When you forgive someone, you are entering into a relationship with God because you are entrusting God to take care of that situation. You are relieving yourself of the duty to make justice in the world for everything. And you're saying, God, I'm going to forgive this person. And I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going I'm to let you do justice. Your justice, your will prevail. Now, that's not what we like to do because what we like to do is make sure that everything is even and squared away before we forgive. There was a, a story I heard recently about two boys. They were in a Sunday school class, and they were in the back, and there were two brothers, and they had been fighting on the way to church that Sunday. Does anybody ever argue on the way to church? Anybody? No? Good. All right, good. Um, we don't either, right, babe? Um, and and they, were, they were arguing, and they are fighting on the way to church. And um, so the Sunday school teacher calls these two boys up, and she's like, boys, what, what's going on? And the one boy says, you know, he, he hit me in the car on the way to church today. And the Sunday school teacher goes, perfect. This is a perfect timing because I'm going to teach them about forgiveness today. And she says, all right, well, Tommy, um, would you then forgive your brother Luke? And Tommy goes, yes, I will. And she says, okay, then forgive him. And Tommy goes, boom, and he hits Luke right in the arm. And the teacher's like, whoa, wait, what? I... What, what just happened? I, I thought I just asked you to forgive Luke. And Tommy says, I forgive him now. I just needed to get even first. And then now it's all good, right? We don't want to forgive when we don't have the upper hand. We want to forgive after we have gotten revenge, after we have already gotten even with the person who hurt us. How many of you, in your mind, you don't have to raise your hand, have ever, and this may be more of a guy thing, I don't know, but like ever had that thing where somebody did something to you and in the moment you didn't think of the right thing to say back to them, but then afterwards while you're going somewhere else, you're like, oh, oh, if I would have said like, boom, and then bang, they would have been totally decimated. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, I wish I would have thought, or, you know, or like, and you have this, it's a revenge fantasy. It's like you're going, man, I could have totally, I could have totally smashed, dragged, you know, uh, killed, destroyed. I could have eucarious the chariot to your terror them. I could have totally, but it was too late, you know, but like you replay it and you, man, there's, and it's like it never comes at the right time. It's never like right there. Um, next time someone offends me, I wish they would email me first and say, look, I'm going to offend you. Next week, so get your stuff ready so you can come back real strong. Um, there, there's actually, that, that term, revenge is sweet. There's actually, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a reality, behind, a physical reality behind that. What they, what, what they find is that when you uh, think about revenge, it actually stimulates a part of your brain that is also stimulated when you take cocaine or when you use some sort of drug that is, a, is, is, a, uh, is a, like an addictive drug. There's, a, there's, a, there's, this, there's something that's pleasurable about, about revenge, about thinking about revenge. 
I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Princess Bride, but this was an old movie. Um, and it, and it, it's a great movie. It really is. And I can recommend it, I think, to everyone. Um, but but there's, this, there's, this mo- there's this guy in the movie, and the six-fingered man killed his father when he was little. And so he goes through the movie, and he keeps saying, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he says it just like that. And he says it like 20 times. Um, sometimes I just say that. Actually, that's what I'm going to say the next time somebody offends me. I'm just going to have that right at my fingertips. Um, and when you watch this movie, you're like, I really hope he finds a six-fingered man. And you know what? He does find the six-fingered man, and he says that to him. And then he kills the six-fingered man. And you go, yes, that's what was supposed to happen. Because in our hearts and in our minds and in the movies, and when we fantasize about it or we think about it, Revenge is sweet, but in reality, when you carry around bitterness and hostility and anger, you become a bitter, hostile, and angry person. Bitterness eats you from the inside out. It's a parasite that destroys its own host. Some people have said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It doesn't help you. At all. And Jesus is saying, let go, forgive. Romans 12 says, do not take revenge, my friends. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Forgive. Forgive. Let it go and put it in God's hands because, and this is the clincher right here, if you do not forgive, you cannot experience the sweetness of being forgiven for your transgressions and for your flaws and for your faults and for your sins because forgiveness is a prerequisite for forgiven. You cannot experience the, the, the joy of being forgiveness until you have exercised forgiveness against to, to someone else. You just can't do it. If today you are struggling in your own heart or in your own mind with feelings of hostility or anger or resentment, or if, in fact, you feel like you have trouble forgiving yourself, If you're not free in your heart today, if you're not liberated in your heart today, I want to challenge you. Explore your heart and see if there's any unforgiveness left in there. Because you can't experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus' forgiveness to you until you forgive whoever else has offended and transgressed against you. In fact, Jesus said it pretty daggone clearly. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, if, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Some people say, what what does that really mean? What it really means is, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. There are other ways of saying it, 
but it's all the same thing. It's really, really clear. And it says the same thing in the Greek and in the Aramaic. It's, it's God's way of saying you've got, to, you've got to be able to forgive somebody else. Because think of it like this. If you have never experienced pouring that out, that forgiveness upon somebody else, especially somebody who doesn't deserve it, when you know that you don't deserve to be forgiven, you're just not capable of, 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 of fathoming God's willingness to forgive you. So let that go. Let me ask you something. How many of you would say you're pretty good at forgiving? You're, you're like, forgiveness is not a big deal for you. It's, okay, it's, it's kind of easy for you. Are there, are there anybody, anybody that could say that? Nobody? Okay, one. Okay, two. Okay, three. Now people are like, actually, I'm pretty good at it. So um, um, how many of you have a tendency to hold a grudge and not forgive a little bit? Yeah. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who tends to hold a grudge and not say, right, okay. You're going to pay for that later. You should put your hand, seriously. (laughs) Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to read you an email, you guys, and and, and I'm wrapping up here and we're going to, we're going to take a moment and get, and and do baptisms. Um, But I want to read you an email from um, a family in our church, um, Joseph and Angelina, and this is a couple that came to our church about two and a half years ago, um, and I got, I got permission to read this email. Um, and this is, this is the email uh, that I received. It said, During the past two and a half years, my husband and I have truly experienced a spiritual growth unlike any we've ever experienced. We moved here because of my job with the U.S. Air Force, and Joseph was less than thrilled with this move and uncertainty. She says, we basically moved here on the brink of divorce. We were desperate to find God, and when we walked through the Tivoli, an unconventional type of church for us, <laughs> it was a new beginning. We looked beyond the theater and the popcorn, and we found happiness. People who truly loved God and welcomed us. We immediately went to growth track, and shortly after that, I, lent, I, I ended up leaving for a three-month training. I felt the frustration in my husband's heart But he went to church every Sunday with our boys, and I couldn't have been more proud. He joined the dream team, and as Baptism Sunday was upon us, this was two Baptism Sundays ago, he went with a gut feeling, and he decided to be baptized. I quickly followed, and I knew that our lives would be renewed. Shortly after baptism, I joined the dream team and shared my joy with the beautiful babies in our nursery. Tears, singing, and smiles are things I will never forget. The best decision of all was joining an amazing life group led by the Fry family. We needed this life group. It gave us an opportunity to realize that so many other people are similar in so many ways. We struggled with relationships, with our beliefs, with our finances, with stress. But one thing was certain. We realized that God was our foundation, and he would never leave us nor forsake us. In your 200th sermon, you asked, what's next? And for us, there are so many changes in our lives happening at once. I've accepted a promotion with the Air Force back to our San Antonio roots. Joseph has accepted a new position at Oracle, and we are happy to announce that we will add a new member to our family in April. Yeah. Uh, Although we are going back home to San Antonio, U-City Family Church gave home a new meaning for us. We are so grateful for the love of U-City Family Church. 
You all have a very special place in our hearts. God bless our U-City Family Church, Angelina and Joseph Casares. Beautiful, beautiful. What, what excites me and, and thrills me and moves me about that email is the transformation that happened from the moment they first arrived until where they are right now. They came, and I, and I will never forget the moment because we were having a baptism service. It was just like this. Um, and they were not scheduled to be baptized. Um, I had never talked to them about baptism. Um, and we had talked about forgiveness, and we were talking about redemption, and we were talking about God transforming our lives and our old lives being buried with him and our new lives being resurrected with him. And when we started to sing the last song, I said, hey, who wants to be baptized? Come on down. And <laughs> Joseph made a break for it. And Angelina went like, where's he going? And then she said, I'm going too. And we baptized him right here in this tank. It was probably, what, a year and a half ago or something like that. Um, and so now they're taking this experience and going to Texas, um, moving their family down there. Um, and we love you guys. And we're so thankful for you guys. Um, and I just want to invite all of you to experience that same liberty, that same freedom in your life of saying, God, I need forgiveness. I would revise C.S. Lewis's quote. I would say forgiveness is a really beautiful word, especially when you are the one who needs to be forgiven. Because here's what Jesus did. This is how he wanted us to understand this. The very last words he said, looking down from the cross, he said a series of words, and one of the very last statements that he ever said, looking down at those who were not doing something to him in his past, but doing something to him right now. Not upon reflection, maybe I should forgive them, not after the dust had settled, not after the injury had healed, but while they were spitting in his face and while they were piercing his side and while they were putting the nails in his hands, looks down and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today is the day for you to experience that liberty in God today. I was at a church service, and I'm going to wrap this up, but I was at a church service a couple years ago, and the pastor said, if you have any unforgiveness in your heart, I want you to close your eyes, and we're going to pray and, and ask God to um, release that. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm sure there are people with unforgiveness in their heart, but obviously I'm not one of them. I'm cool with everybody. Everything's good. I don't have any resentment. I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody. Um, and so I was just kind of letting it go one ear out the other. And then the pastor said, no, 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 I'm serious. Like, if you have any resentment about anything from your past, any hostility in your heart about anything, I want you to pray and let that go. And I, so then I thought, well, maybe, you know, I mean, maybe let me just do a little, uh, let, me just, let me just analyze here just for a second. And then he pushed it and did it a third time. And he said, if you really want liberty in your life, if you really want to be released in your life, if you really want to live a life of newness and freedom, figure out, search your heart, do you have unforgiveness about anything, anywhere in your life? And I started going, actually, now that you mention it, um, there are a couple people that, <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I started to think about a couple people. And as I was preparing this sermon, I thought about somebody that had, that had, that had done 
offended me a long, long time ago, hurt me a long time ago. Um, and in my heart, and I, I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know that I had ever actually forgiven that person. I had basically shoved that person to the side. Um, I'd cut that person out. I, had, I, I don't know what the emotional thing is that you do, compartmentalize, or I, I don't know. We'd need, a, we'd need somebody, a psychologist, to tell me what that is. But, but I basically just said, I'm ignoring that person. I'm shutting them out. I'm, but I had never forgiven that person. And so as I was preparing for this sermon, I started thinking, huh, I wonder if I, I should... I should probably forgive that person before I preach this sermon. It would be a good idea. And so I did what any of you would do. Um, I got on Facebook and looked this person up. Now, I didn't friend this person. I mean, just I'll tell you, the I didn't friend this person. But this person, you know how you can have private or public? This person has a public setting. So you can see this person on Facebook. And I, I got my wife and... I just started looking at the, at the life of this person that I had harbored some resentment against for many, many years. And what I saw as I was looking at this Facebook feed of this person was a person who clearly had some struggles of their own, clearly was um, uh, hurting in their own life. Um, there were indications that this person may have suffered some injustices themselves, some abuses themselves. And... And as I was reading through and looking through the pictures, my heart began to turn towards this person. Now, I don't ever want to talk to that, to that person, but I began to pray for that person, and I had never done that ever in my life. I began to pray that God would forgive that person and that I would forgive that person and that that person would be blessed and that they, that person would experience God's love and God's grace and God's mercy in their life like I've experienced God's love and mercy and grace. And for the first time in my life, I really genuinely believe that I forgave that person. Um, and it's a liberating feeling to be able to stand here in front of you and tell you that. It was a game changer. I, 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 I've, I've, <laughs> I pray now, and I've been praying for this person every day this week and saying, God, please, please bless that person. Um, they need you. They need you desperately. So here's what I want to do today with you. Um, because some of you are sitting there going, all right, great theoretically, but how do I do it? Here's how you forgive. I'm going to give you three quick points. Number one, search your heart. Search your heart. Is there anything in your heart, anyone, any offense, any abuse, any harm, any hurt that someone has done against you anywhere, anytime that you have not forgiven? I want to, and, and maybe it's petty. Maybe it's something small. Some of you, maybe it's like, no, nothing really that bad has happened to me. But that dude cut in front of me on my way to church this morning. I'm, you know, um, you know, wh whatever it is, search your heart. Identify the hurt. What is it? Remember that we're not forgetting. We're not condoning. We're not excusing. We're not, we're identifying it. Identify that hurt. And then I'm going to challenge you this week. Pray for that person. Pray for God's blessing upon that person. Now, here's, here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. The Psalms have what are called precatory Psalms, where David said, God, I'm going to pray for my enemy. Lord, smash the teeth of my enemy out of their face and utterly destroy them. Right? And, then, and that, that was his prayer. If you need to start there, go, that's okay. Start there. But then we move gently to, to God. Actually, that person needs your redemption. That person needs your grace. 
That person needs your mercy. God, please forgive that person and let them experience love and let them experience the blessings of who you are. Let them experience your, your love for them and let me forgive them. I'm going to do this with you right here, right now, today. I'd ask all of you just to close your eyes for a minute as we close. And I'm going to ask you to truly, truly search your heart. Search your heart. If there's unforgiveness in there, find it, locate it, identify that hurt, identify that injury. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me for whatever that thing is and for whoever that person is. Father, right now, we turn our hearts to you. We search our hearts, Lord God, for any, any resentment, any hostility, any anger. We've all been transgressed against. We've all been offended. We've all been injured or hurt in some way. And today, Lord God, we want to be set free. We want to be liberated from our own, um, our own anger, our own bitterness, our own self-loathing, our own uh, turning against ourselves um, because of the resentment and hostility we hold towards someone else. Um, Father, we ask that, that you would help us to identify those things that, and those people that have harmed us. And we pray today, Lord God, that you would give us the strength and give us the courage and give us the grace and the mercy to let that go, to let it out of our heart, to let go those feelings of resentment, those feelings of anger, those feelings of vengeance, those feelings of bitterness. And God, we ask, Lord God, that you fill our hearts instead with a divine love that we can love our enemies, that we can pray for those who despitefully use us, that we can pray for those who have harmed us, we can pray for those who have injured us and we can let go our, our, our vengefulness and we can turn our desire for revenge over to you and to your justice. God, we enter into that relationship with you today as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. And then we ask you to forgive us in the same way, by the same measure. Forgive us freely today, Lord, for any transgressions or offenses or injuries or harms that we have afflicted upon anyone else, including ourselves or including you. Forgive us today and set us free from guilt and shame. Set us free in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is powerful stuff, guys. This is what it's all about. Music team, could you guys come up? I'm going to... Um, in just a moment, I'm going to invite all of you to, to, to stand with me. Um, but 